welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Tuesday, June 25th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, what to expect at Wednesday's debate. Sanders releases his plan to eliminate all student debt in the U.S. And more about Buttigieg's policing problems in South Bend. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, let's talk about what to expect at Wednesday's debate. Now, very briefly, I got to cover the timing and location. The first debate will run from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, June 26th in Miami, Florida. Now, for our listeners who are not in the States, and I know there are actually a lot of y'all, that time zone is UTC minus four. So plan accordingly. That is 2100 to 2300 UTC minus four. Okay, end of time math. Now, you can watch the debates live on NBC, MSNBC, and Telemundo, or you can stream the whole thing online at the various NBC websites, or you can just go to YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook and search for NBC News there. I'm sure the streams will be super prominent on the homepages, so it's going to be hard to miss on Wednesday night. All right, so what do we think might actually happen tomorrow night? Well, lots of stuff. First off, we now know the format of the debate. Reading from a Newsweek summary here, quote, Each night will have the same debate format, as candidates will be allowed one-minute responses to questions and 30-second follow-up answers. They will also be able to give closing statements and can respond to other candidates through the moderator. End quote. Note there, no opening statements, just closing statements. Now, this one-minute limit is pretty short, and it's going to lead to candidates using simple language and very likely a lot of prepared sound bites. Then again, you've got to allow 10 people to talk somehow, and there's just not a ton of time, even across two hours. Now, let's dig into some more of the details on how this all came together. The go-to article for all this info is by Gabriel Debedinetti in New York Magazine. He titled it, quote, That's hell. Democrats' debate prep gets real. End quote. It is the second link in the show notes, and I highly recommend reading it. It is awesome work and comprehensive. All right, reading from that article, quote, Learning the specific rules has also encouraged some of the campaigns to zero in on one specific Republican debate from 2016 in search of general tips. The October 2015 CNBC debate, when there were 10 GOP candidates on stage and the timing rules were similar to next week's, offers a basis for what rhythm to expect and to understand how moderators enforce the guidelines. Other campaigns have given up on rewatching 2016 tape, figuring that Donald Trump distorted the stages in a way that will never be replicated. Similarly, a handful have abandoned running full mock debate sessions, figuring it's a waste of the candidates' time to plop them in a line with nine aides pretending to be other candidates for two hours, though some are still blocking off time for smaller versions in the final days before Miami. End quote. Now, Debedetti also gets into how the candidates are looking at the use of space on the stage in order to plan for the debates. Because we know where each candidate will stand, apparently the campaigns are using that info to prepare their candidates. Now, what that means exactly, I'm not super sure. I mean, do you turn to the candidate to your left and yell at them or something? Given the debate format, that should not be possible, but maybe mixing it up is part of the plan in order to spark some media coverage. I don't know. Now, yesterday I saw a photo on Twitter of the stage setup. There is a link to that in the show notes as well. And it's, you know, it's a debate stage. There is a semicircle of podiums facing the audience with a moderator's table facing them. The only things that stood out in my look at the photo were, first, there are weird, fake, kind of White House-looking backdrops behind the candidates. 
they look like exterior ornate windows and doors and flags and stuff. To me, it looks kind of tacky, but okay, you do your own art direction, NBC Miami. The second thing is that, at least in this one photo, the two center podiums have been lit up with a kind of teal-colored light strip running all the way up the front. Now, we know the two center positions are reserved for the two top polling candidates each night, but my assumption is that these two people don't get magical light-up podiums all night, at least I, I hope not. My guess is that every podium can light up, and those two just happen to be turned on when this photo was taken. Anyway, back to the political stuff. According to that New York Magazine article, quote, Senators' teams are expecting Mitch McConnell to schedule Senate proceedings on Wednesday and Thursday to force them to fly to the debate directly from D.C. rather than getting to situate themselves. End quote. So on Wednesday, that will affect Booker, Klobuchar, and Warren. Then on Thursday night, we actually have four senators, so that will affect Bennett, Gillibrand, Harris, and Sanders. We will talk more about debate prep for Thursday in tomorrow's show. While we're on that topic, there is one more detail from the New York Magazine article that jumped out at me. When the DNC and NBC did that lottery at 30 Rock to pick which candidates went on which nights, they assigned them to two groupings labeled purple and orange. And then the NBC folks took those groups, left the room, leaving the candidates' representatives behind, had their own meeting behind closed doors, and then came back to announce which group went on which night, Wednesday and Thursday. The DNC did not like this, but NBC executives felt that putting the two groups in this order would, quote, maximize viewership, end quote. I think that might be code for putting Biden and Sanders on Thursday night, but I'm really not sure. Now, the last thing to know is that having this two-night primary debate actually air on network TV is indeed a first. As the DNC reminded us in its press release back in February, quote, no debate has ever aired in primetime on back-to-back nights. End quote. Weirdly, this is true, but it's because of two factors. First, most early primary debates aren't generally shown on network TV at all. Or at least, they weren't prior to the current political situation that we are in. Second, the size of this field basically requires a two-night commitment. So, there you go. History in the making, technically. Yesterday, Senator Bernie Sanders, along with Representatives Ilhan Omar and Pramila Jayapal, released new legislation to forgive student debt for roughly 45 million college graduates. The cost would be about $1.6 trillion to eliminate that debt, and the bill suggests paying for that with a financial transaction on certain stock trades. By the way, I covered that transaction tax thing in detail on the show on Friday, May 24th. That episode is titled, I'm Lovin' the McDonald's Strike and the details on the tax are in the last segment of that show. Okay, so what is this plan again? Well, it is not just eliminating all student debt. I mean, that's ambitious enough on its own. The plan would actually do much more, and it's part of the existing Sanders framework that many refer to as college for all. Reading from a New York Times story by Emily Cochran here, quote, The plan would eliminate tuition and fees at public four-year institutions and community colleges. It would cap student loan interest rates, expand Pell Grants by allowing them to cover books, housing, and transportation, and cancel tuition at trade schools and apprenticeship programs. It would also channel more funding to historically black universities, tribal colleges, and other minority institutions. End quote. 
The price tag for all that stuff brings the total cost to around $2.2 trillion, again paid for by that same trading tax. By the way, that tax is its own bill, which Sanders calls the Inclusive Prosperity Act, and that bill has already been introduced and is hanging around in the Senate right now. There are other candidates in this race who also have plans around student debt. Julian Castro is one, and Senator Elizabeth Warren is another. In Warren's plan, which again we've covered on the show, she would not wipe the slate clean, but instead would use a progressive system based on income. Reading again from that Times piece, quote, Ms. Warren's $1 trillion plan would eliminate some or all student loan debt for about 95% of borrowers, about 42 million people according to her campaign, canceling up to $50,000 for every person with a household income of less than $100,000. More than 75% of borrowers would see all of their student debt eliminated, end quote. Now, the big difference between the Warren plan and the Sanders plan is that Sanders wants to eliminate all the debt for all the people versus this 75% thing that Warren is proposing. Okay, reading from a CNN story by Ryan Nobles and Gregory Krieg, quote, At an event on Sunday in South Carolina, Sanders delivered the political argument for using the transaction tax to help millions of Americans struggling with student debt. Congress voted to bail out the crooks on Wall Street. Do you remember that? He asked the crowd to a chorus of boos. They provided $700 billion in federal loans, and in addition, trillions of dollars in zero or very low interest loans. So I think the time is now for Wall Street to repay that obligation to the American people. If we could bail out Wall Street, we sure as hell can reduce student debt in this country. End quote. So expect to hear more about student debt in both of these debates. I want to tell you about another short daily news podcast that will keep you informed quickly. And it's a great compliment to this show because it comes out first thing in the morning by 4 a.m. It's called The Newsworthy, and it gives you all the day's news. We're talking 8 to 12 news stories in less than 10 minutes. So you can quickly get informed as you start your day. The Newsworthy tells you the key things to know that day in politics and business, as well as the fun stuff like tech, science, and entertainment. The Newsworthy keeps you informed on so many things that it's not just doom and gloom, like some traditional news sources. And it's always unbiased with perspectives from a wide variety of news sources. The Newsworthy is all about being fast, fair, and fun. Oh, and guess what? On Thursdays, there are quick bonus interviews after the news that provide more about different news topics each week. So add it to your playlist and get informed first thing each weekday morning. And if you check out last week's Thursday show, you'll get a bonus interview with a Bloomberg political writer about the primaries. And I know you're going to like that. So search for The Newsworthy in your favorite podcast app or go to thenewsworthy.com to listen now. That's The Newsworthy, all one word. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. 
So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. On Wednesday last week, I reported on how Mayor Pete Buttigieg was responding to a shooting in South Bend. Well, a lot has happened since then. Okay, reviewing the basic facts of the case in South Bend. A white police officer, Sergeant Ryan O'Neill, shot and killed a black man, Eric Logan, early on the morning of Sunday, June 16th. O'Neill said that he was investigating a call of a man looking through vehicles and therefore was driving with his police lights off. This was at about 3.30 a.m. O'Neill came across Logan in a parking lot. Reading here from the Indianapolis Star, quote, O'Neill responded to the scene and confronted a man, later identified as Logan, who police said was partially in a vehicle at the Central High School Apartments parking lot. Officials said Logan stepped out of the vehicle with a knife in his hand and approached O'Neill with the weapon raised. O'Neill stepped back and ordered Logan to drop the weapon, police say. Police said when Logan did not comply, O'Neill fired his service weapon and struck Logan. End quote. Logan was then taken in a police car to the hospital a mile away where he died. O'Neill was briefly treated at that same hospital for what have been described as minor injuries. Although O'Neill was equipped with a body camera, apparently it was not turned on at any point during this incident. Also, his car's dash cam was not turned on either, apparently because he was driving slowly and without police lights on at 3.30 in the morning. And that whole no cameras thing is a big part of the problem, but not nearly the whole story. In the wake of the shooting, Buttigieg canceled several campaign events and rushed back to South Bend to respond to this crisis. He worked with South Bend Police Chief Scott Ruskowski to develop a new policy, which sounds pretty simple. All officers must turn on their body cameras whenever they are in contact with civilians. On June 21st, a group of protesters marched in South Bend protesting the shooting, and Buttigieg showed up at that march. Reading from a tweet here by CNN reporter DJ Judd, quote, Protesters have asked Pete Buttigieg to sign a petition calling for a DOJ investigation into the officer-involved shooting of Eric Logan, but Buttigieg says it contains language that could be deemed prejudicial. Asked if he'll be the first to sign a clean petition, he says yes, end quote. So Buttigieg joined the march, walking with protesters, many of whom welcomed him. And then things got tense. CNN commentator Keith Boykin posted a CNN video clip on Twitter that went viral. I'm going to play that audio for you in a moment, but let me set the scene first. Buttigieg is standing by a road construction sign, holding a microphone attached to a megaphone that has been slung over his shoulder. In front of him is a group of black protesters holding up signs reading Black Lives Matter and wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. And there are several large TV news cameras filming the whole thing. Okay, listen in. I do not have evidence that there has been discipline for racist behavior in the case of And I think that moment, which was last Friday, is when people outside of South Bend really began paying attention. In a Washington Post story, we got to hear from locals on the issue. This is from a piece by Antonia Nori Farzan. Quote, Buttigieg's initial response to the shooting was panned by critics. 
How is he handling it? Said Oliver Davis, the longest serving black member of the South Bend Common Council, told the Post last week, well, he talked to the media before the family. He skipped the family vigil full of black residents, and then he gave a speech to the police. So how do you think that went over? End quote. Adding to the context for this whole situation, again, reading from the Post, quote, After taking office in 2012, Buttigieg forced out the city's first black police chief, who had been accused of improperly recording white police officers making racist comments, according to the Times. His handling of police misconduct cases has led to backlash during his tenure, as did the lack of diversity on the police force. Though roughly a quarter of South Bend residents are black, only 5% of the police department is African American, according to the South Bend Tribune. End quote. So, Buttigieg canceled more campaign events and scheduled a town hall event for Sunday in South Bend to address the escalating tensions. At that event, he sat on stage with Police Chief Scott Ruskowski in a high school auditorium, and that event did not seem to de-escalate much of anything. Reading again here from the Post, quote, Remaining calm while audience members shouted at him and, at times, each other, Buttigieg also pledged to do his part to restore the trust between black residents and police, and emphasized that he welcomed community input. He promised transparency and received loud applause when he said he would ask the Justice Department to review the Logan shooting and for a special prosecutor to conduct an outside review. End quote. The big picture here, at least from the reading I've done, and there are many, many links in the show notes on this, is that there is long-standing tension in South Bend related to race and policing and race in general. Buttigieg is facing a crisis in the city that he runs, and he has a seven-year track record to examine here. As a mayor, it is his job to keep on top of this, and he is doing that, but the line between mayor and presidential candidate is going to be hard to navigate. Now, from a political standpoint, this puts him in a tough position. He can either stay in South Bend and continue to engage with his community, which is what many community members seem to be asking for, or he can go back on the trail. Most other candidates do not face this kind of choice. At the moment, he says he is going to show up at the debates. He is scheduled for Thursday, but we're going to have to stay tuned to see how Buttigieg can balance the needs of his city versus the aspirations of his campaign. Also, expect to hear questions on both debate nights about race and policing. Well, that is it for one more episode of The Primary Ride Home. I have been and remain your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. All right, folks, again, a day where we had way more news than time. I think that will be the norm for this week, and maybe things will calm down next week, I hope. Again, Debate Bingo is here, and the first link in the show notes will get you to those bingo cards. Do not forget to print them before Wednesday night. They are free, they are fun, and they are somewhat educational-ish. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow, tomorrow. It's only a day away. 